You know, when you hear that sound, but you don't see what's happening, it didn't sound like that. All right. We're going <laughs> uh, to be on Luke chapter 5 today. Luke chapter 5, and uh, it's my great privilege to talk to you today about being a kingdom builder. And I want to start out with this question, why did Jesus actually come to earth? We read about it in Hebrews just a little while ago. Why did he actually come to earth? And I've got a I've got a few things I'm going to mention. I'm going to kind of race through this list, but I'm going to give you those scripture references. And maybe if you're a note taker, write them down. And this could help you maybe with some devotional this, devotionals this week. But the first thing uh, Jesus himself says he's, is he came to bring light in John 12, 35. In fact, he even says, I am the way, the truth, the life. But he came to bring light into a dark place. When he's talking to Pontius Pilate, in John 18, he says he came to bear witness to the truth. And Pilate to that, he says, what is truth? And again, Jesus says, he's the truth, John 18, 37. He came to destroy the works of the enemy. We just read this, Hebrews 2, 14. Holding the power of death, he took the power of death away from the devil on the cross. So it has no power over us. That's why, by the way, if you, if you notice that Easter video, we're going to be talking about this. We're going to be talking about this on Easter. You shouldn't be letting the enemy push you around. God took his teeth away. And so if you're getting pushed around and you feel like you're stomped down by the enemy, you don't have to wait till Easter, but Easter is going to be a great message. And if you've got any friends, by the way, who need to hear that, April 9th, it's going to be a great day. We have little invitation cards on your way out. You can grab them, pray for whoever you're going to give them to. But he came, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to give eternal life, John 6, 51. He came to bring judgment, John chapter 9, verse 39 through 41. We don't like talking about that, right? But he did. He came to bring judgment. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets, Matthew 5, 17. And we talked about him fulfilling the law when we did Galatians not so long ago. And you could go back on the website or on the app and listen to those messages. But it says what the law was powerless to do, grace through faith in Christ achieves what the law couldn't because Jesus fulfilled the law. He came to bring peace, Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. He actually talk, that actually talks about that because of Jesus, the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles has been leveled. And that's true across all cultures. By the way, a lot of you were here last Sunday night, speaking of all cultures, where we had the International Food Festival, and the walls were broken down. Believe me, we were trying all kinds of food last week. It was a great time. Anybody enjoy that last week? Yeah, it was a good time. And uh, I, I ate more than I have had in a, in a long time. I tried to try everything, but we had over 30 dishes, and I don't know how many desserts. It was amazing. But Ephesians 2, 14 through 18 is kind of uh, an illustration. That was kind of an illustration of that, where God tears down walls and boundaries across cultures because we have this great common ground in Jesus. Ephesians 2, 14. He came to bring a sword, Matthew 10, 34, to bring conflict. He actually, it actually says that, right? And, and peace, we, we said he came to bring peace. And he's like, pastor, how can he bring peace and conflict? Well, peace isn't the absence of conflict. That's not what peace is. In fact, there's a lot of homes where you don't see any conflict, but there's anything but peace in that home. You get what I'm saying? Sometimes you can't have peace without conflict. There has to be a confrontation. 
And that's what Jesus brings, Matthew 10, 34. He came to be the second greater Adam, Romans chapter 5, verse 14 through 15 says. It says, through one man, sin entered the world, and through another man, forgiveness for, the, for sin, for one and the other. He, he became the second greater Adam. And then finally, Luke chapter 19, verse 5, he came to seek and save the lost. There's a lot more. We could go on all day just with reasons Jesus came. But I want to end on this one, seek and save the lost, because I want to ask you this question off of that. Why would Jesus save anyone? Why would he save anyone? And why did he save you and why did he save me? We don't deserve it, do we? No. And even when we try our good works, the Bible says, are as filthy rags. So there's nothing we can do to earn salvation, and we know that, right? So why does he save us? And some, some people, and, and some of you here might think this, well, he saves us so that when we die, we don't go to hell, we go to heaven. That's true, but that's not the entire truth. If that's the only reason why you think Jesus came to save you, I call that having like a fire insurance policy, <laughs> right? I, this is my fire insurance policy so I don't burn forever. <laughs> so, so, I, <laughs> so I can go to heaven when I die. As if the only thing to do after you're saved is to survive this broken and crazy world and then die. I think if we look at the Lord's Prayer, it actually tells us more about our purpose and the reason why he saves us. It says this. Some of you have memorized it. I grew up Catholic, so I had to memorize it, and it's easy to memorize. It's a good prayer to memorize. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. It's an excellent prayer. And if you take this prayer and you look at it line by line, it will tell you a lot about who you are in Christ and why he saved you. But I, years ago, I did this, and some of you have heard this before. I thought, maybe I'll rewrite the prayer. You know, because that's okay to rewrite Scripture, right? <laughs> but I thought maybe if we rewrote it to kind of better reflect how we live out our faith, it might go like this. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May we go to heaven when we die, because there your will is done. Amen. <laughs> right? That's how sometimes we live out our faith. Let's just be really honest with ourselves. Because you look around you and, and it's, it's anything but heaven. It's crazy. And it feels like it's getting crazier, doesn't it? Just, you know, if you don't watch the news, watch it for five minutes and turn it off after that. <laughs> okay. But that's not what it says. It doesn't say, when we get to heaven, there will, your will will be done. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're not saved to survive this broken world and die. We're saved, listen to this, to bring heaven to earth. You realize that? God wants to use you to bring heaven to to earth. Not only do we get the opportunity to pray the Lord's prayer when we're saved, but then we become the vehicle for that prayer to be answered. Manifest heaven in my life, in my family, 
my friends, when you forgive someone who doesn't deserve it, you're manifesting heaven. When you pray for someone to be healed and you see them healed, you're manifesting heaven. When you pray for someone to be healed and God takes the long road to heal them, there's a reason for that. That's heaven manifesting. He has eternal purposes for all of those things. And it's a simple but profound prayer. Your kingdom come. I will tell you this. When, when we decided to call this little mutual fund we call Kingdom Builders, Kingdom Builders, I was really uncomfortable. I still am sometimes with this term kingdom. I'm just uncomfortable with it. Because all of the earthly kingdoms we've ever had have been epic failures. And earthly kings have been epic failures. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Right? So when I think of kingdoms, it's a broken idea. But God is incorruptible. And no one has to give him power. He has all power. Whether we want to give him the power or not, he has all power. And the fact that he hasn't used that power to just destroy all of humanity and its sinful selfishness is proof enough that God is good, that he's slow to anger, and he's quick to forgive. So in God, in Christ, I'm glad he's the king of his kingdom. Because it's not like an earthly kingdom. It's not like an earthly king. He's perfect in all his ways, and he, he's merciful. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Here's a question for you. Do you see God's will being done in your world? Does the world fall short? It falls short, doesn't it? This is why that we're not automatically beamed up to heaven when we get saved. Wouldn't that be nice? You're right, you know, like you get saved and, you know, now I don't have to be here anymore. No, there's a reason why we remain because we don't see all of God's will being done. And now we become ambassadors for heaven to bring his will on earth as it is in heaven. Here's some questions for you. They're rhetorical, but we can answer them. Will there be a lost soul in heaven? No. Will Jesus be obscured by sinful, broken humanity in heaven? No. Will there be starvation in heaven? No. Will there be abuse in heaven? You could answer me, that's fine. Will there be destruction in heaven? What about corruption? Will children be exploited in heaven? Will human trafficking be an issue in heaven? Will there be greed in heaven? Poverty? Disease? Will there be broken homes? We can go on that there too. These kinds of things that we see on earth they don't happen in heaven, and it's Jesus' prayer, and it's our purpose to do something about those things. That's what it means to be a kingdom builder, to look at things on earth that aren't the way they are in heaven and say, God, use me to do something about that. Use me to do something about that. God has called every Christian to be a kingdom builder and to see his kingdom come here, near, and far. I want to take a closer look at what this looks like in one story in the Bible, one account of something that happened in Luke chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 17. I'm going to read this whole story. And then we've got, um, we've got a clip to kind of see what this looks like. We do have that clip, right? Okay. Let me read this first. Luke 5, 17. On one of those days while he was teaching... 
Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then some men came carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your bed, and go home. Immediately, he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. And everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God. And they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. Let's watch it now on this clip. Jesus of Nazareth, I saw what you did to the leper on the road this morning. My friend has been paralyzed since childhood. He has no hope but you. Please, do for him what you did for the leper. That's a rope! Put it back, man! If you are willing, Rabbi, I know you can do this. your tablet at least. Harry! Is he in danger? I don't know. No, I don't think so. He's got room in there? Yes. Can you believe we're really here for this? Yes. Down. did you teach? Answer me. If you are willing, Rabbi, you know you can't. Hey, I'm talking to you. By whom do you teach? Certainly not the authority of any rabbi from Nazareth. Where did you study? Your faith is beautiful. 
Son, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right. But I ask you, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven. Or rise up and walk. It's easy to say anything, no? But to show you. And so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, my son, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Not only are these guys putting themselves out, but man, some of them screwed up a little bit, right? But it was there, that shows the urgency, like, it, 
Nothing else at this point matters. Let's get our friend to Jesus. At all costs, because Jesus can heal him, because Jesus can forgive him. Let's get our friend to Jesus. It was an urgent, pressing matter, and the question that's coming back on us is what stops us? What stops you? I will tell you, reading about these men confronts me in a version of the gospel that I would really love to believe in, which is the gospel of the life of Jesus. <laughs> that Jesus came to save me and give me a nice, easy life. I would like to believe that, but that's anything but. Right? Yeah. That's what consumers in the sound of the church We shout for our faith, we shout for our church. Don't do that. Pray, and God will give you direction. And I get, so I get confronted with this. Sometimes I get confronted with myself when I go on one of these business trips. And I see some of you men, you, you go to a church service in one of these third world countries, and they don't have air conditioning, they don't have video, they don't have media. And if they do have media, it sounds terrible. But they're packed in like sardines. It can be 98 degrees outside, and all of people's freshness, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and they are packed in like sardines. Worshiping Jesus. We have plans that if we get to 70, 80 percent capacity, we like our space and we're not going to fill it up anymore. <laughs> but I, I get confronted when I see what people do, how far they walk, and what they do to get to worship together. Or how quickly I give up on praying for something when it, I don't see anything happening. I also think when I look at this, and I try to kind of let the Holy Scriptures be a mirror to me, I think if I were this guy's But in my kind of conditioned mind, I would think, well, he'll have another crusade that's not sold out, or he'll, he'll do something like that. And they didn't do that because it was urgent. Nothing was going to stop them. Nothing should stop us. Right? And the question isn't just, is bringing a friend to Jesus urgent, but is there an urgency to your faith at all? That no matter what, I'm going to believe. No matter what, I'm going to worship. No matter what, I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to spend time in prayer tonight. No matter what, I'm going to wake up on daylight savings time and be in church. No matter what. That was last week. And you get that by now, or we still can suffer. <laughs> There's nothing on your schedule today or in your calendar this week that is more urgent, more important than your relationship with Jesus. Nothing. So Jesus says to him, friend, your sins are forgiven. I have to think this might have been an awkward moment. It was an awkward moment, right? You had the Pharisees going, who are you? But if I'm the friend who brought my friend to be healed, I'm kind of thinking, well, that's easier to say you're forgiven, because there's no way to really prove this group back. It's 
So I'll do the harder thing, which is to feel it, so that you can see that. And that makes sense. That makes total sense. How much it help? But I actually think the harder thing for all of us to do, the harder thing for Jesus to do, is to forget. The harder thing to do is to forget. The reason why I think that is think about what Jesus had to go through to forget. It says later on in Luke, while he's being hung on a cross between two feet, he actually says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he's doing that while he's suffering. While he's suffering on the cross, while they're ridiculing him, while they're mocking him, he says, Father, forgive them. That does not look easy to me. I actually think a harder thing to do was what he did first, which was to forgive. Healing, no problem. He's the Son of God. Right? But forgiveness had to be paid for. And if ever you wonder, God is more concerned about our great speed, which is for him, than what our temporary needs are. He cares about our temporary needs. He cares about what you need. He cares about healing you. He cares about all those things. But first and foremost, primarily, is our greatest need, which is forgiveness from him. Amen? Some people think, and this, there's nothing really in the scriptures that say this, and some people think that it might have been a sin in his life that cost him to be paralyzed. So that when he said that, maybe there, that was even a moment that he realized, oh, healing's coming. Right? We don't really know that for sure, but it's fun to think about. He says he saw their faith. He saw their faith. Is there evidence of your faith? Saw their faith. What, what, what did he see exactly? He saw their faith. It, it also, by the way, it says, it, let's say he saw the paralyzed man's faith. He saw the faith of his friends. The friends Yes. He saw the faith of their friends. There was an evidence to that. And when, when our faith is an urgent matter, it will show. What do we spend the most time doing? What will we do no matter the cost? What are we passionate about? What are we passionate about? Here's a way to know what you're passionate about. Any, any certain thing in your life, it's the price you're willing to pay to see the goal. It's what you're willing to suffer to see something happen. That's how you measure your passion. Am I passionate about this? Right? And for Jesus to be known, we've got to restore a sense of urgency for our faith to take on the mission of making him known. There's got to be a sense of urgency for us to see the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And it has to supersede everything else in our lives. Everything. We've got to become consumed with the call of God. It's not just pastors that are called. It's not. All of you have a call of God on your life to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven in your sphere of influence. 
Everyone here has a call of God. And I'm no, I, I'm no different than you. Right? I'm on, on a platform preaching. That's part of my call. But it's just a call. That's all it is. And you have the same call. Yeah, I might call it a little bit of what I can do with you if you just lay it all down. Right? The urgency of our faith is the urgency of our need for forgiveness. God cares about your needs, but your priorities are great. God will answer your prayers for needs every day, right? But even those answered prayers are in pursuit of your ultimate need, which is forgiveness. When God performs a miracle, there's more reason than the miracle itself. When someone's healed, it's for more than just the healing itself. Why? Yeah. How do I know that? Well, first of all, I know that all of us, our inheritance is healing. I know that when we get to heaven, all of us will be healed. So I can say, as a matter of fact to you, in your faith, you are healed. I can say that. And when we get to heaven, we realize it's an inheritance that we get. And just like any advance of an inheritance, there's a reason for that advance. It's not just because. So when God grants an advance on that inheritance and we see someone miraculously heal on earth, there's something else going on there with eternal outcomes and eternal purposes. People needed to see that, and that seeing that was going to spark faith in them to receive ultimately what they really need, which is forgiveness. That's the urgency of our needs. It says in verse 21, the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, who is this guy? Who, who is this guy who speaks blasphemies? Only a religious person would be upset about someone being here. Not. Not religious. We have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we don't observe it by religious rituals. We have a religious person we have said about that. Verse 22. But Jesus, aware of the reason, makes answered and said to them, Why are you saying this in your hearts? What's easier to say? You say they're forgiven or get out of the block. But so that you know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up. Take your stretcher and go home. Jesus can forgive and he can heal. And instead of getting excited about something God did, the religious people got critical. When our faith is not an urgent matter in our lives, and we know it, when it's more rituals than relationship, we get critical. The religious leaders were just that, they were religious. Jesus was establishing a relationship with people who didn't know him. The rich, religious people wanted all this recognition because they were ritualists. Right? We still have that today. And the message for forgiveness and healing was being offered up for them as well. That's what we miss when we're critical. That's what we miss when our faith is emergent. Those religious leaders. He's saying, he's saying, hey, I've got forgiveness for you too. I've got healing for you too. But here's the crazy part about it when we're religious, it's not our faith that matters, it's our works. We don't think we need forgiveness. They didn't think they needed it. 
years ago, when I was a youth pastor, I was talking to a couple of my students who grew up in church their whole lives. And uh, praise God for that. That is an awesome testimony of what God keeps people from. But one of them just had a very honest conversation. It's like, I don't understand. I, I'm, you know, I've had a good life and good. I, I don't really need grace. I haven't done anything really terrible. That's kind of where these religious leaders were. Now, I didn't just pounce on that person and say, You're religious. <laughs> that was a genuine question from a genuine heart. And we had to walk through this that we're born into sin. None of us are good. All of us are bent to selfishness. All of us are bent to self-destruction. We all need forgiveness, even those religious people. Amen? Here's my question. Is your faith an urgent matter in your life? Is there an urgency to know, love, worship? Stand for, live for Jesus. Another student at one point would say this, and you may have heard this before. That's why I'll die for Jesus. Last week, Pastor Brian asked us parents, some of you might remember this, this was a real challenging thing for me. Would you be willing to give up your children to go to the ends of the earth and possibly even be martyred for Christ? I have wrestled with that. But sometimes it's not about whether or not we're willing to die for Jesus. Sometimes it's about how much we're willing to live for Jesus. And sometimes dying would be the easier thing, but living for him is the hard Is it an urgent matter in your life? Is it urgent for you and in your heart for other people to know Jesus? Because it's the difference between heaven and hell. Not only once we die, but life on earth apart from God is hell on earth. It really is. Anything apart from God and His will is, is hell on earth. In fact, if someone's living on this earth that doesn't know Jesus, this is the closest to heaven they're ever going to get. That's depressing. And when we know Christ, this is the closest to hell we're ever going to get. Praise God. But is, is it an urgent matter in your life that other people know Jesus, that know that he came to save them, that know that he loves them and wants to forgive them and give them mercy, that know Romans 8 says there is no condemnation for them in Christ Jesus? Is there an urgency in your heart for anyone to know that? I would say that you are connected, that if your faith is an urgent matter, then your care and concern for others that's part of your faith. Is it urgent to you here in this life you have right here? The people in your life, the people that you work with, the people we serve in the food pantry, is this urgent to you? Is it a priority? Is it urgent to you that someone else, maybe outside your sphere of influence with Jesus, that maybe one of these kids in Indiana that's being exploited, would be saved from that, and know the love of a perfect father. Is it urgent to you 
that someone in another part of the world that's never even heard the name Jesus would have an opportunity to hear about Jesus? Or someone who's in part of the world that's hostile to the gospel, who if they put their faith in Jesus, literally are putting on his Is it urgent to you today to see Jesus' kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, here, near, and far? It is It's more important than my schedule this week. You know, Pastor, you work in church. Yes, it's more important than every single meeting I have on the first this week. It's more important than paying my taxes. I don't want to my Bible. I know it's legal, I said that's what I've It's more important than my taxes. More important that my son understands that Jesus is more important than even going to school. You scoff at that, but how many of us make our kids go to school with no one make them go to church? It's urgent. It's urgent. It's more important than anything. More important. My daughter, like for you. She don't want Jesus to live out of purposes for Christ, and she get a good reward. Although, to honor God, she should get good grades. <laughs> right? It's more important than all anything else. It's more important to make than making ends meet. Jesus and matters of Jesus and salvation are forever in everything else that I just said. It's temporary. And someday, when we come into eternity and we look at how we spent the temporary times and, and resources we had, we will be thankful for the opportunities we had to leverage the temporary for the eternal. our lives, our time, our roofs. That's right. Father, thank you for today. It challenges us. It challenges our hearts to see your kingdom come to the world as on our presence and have what we see. In this story, we have some friends. They were kingdom builders. They were bringing their friend to the king to build your kingdom, to see your kingdom come, your healing. That's what it's like to be a kingdom builder. We get to see you do amazing things in people's lives. When we allow our faith to be virgin Holy Spirit, I pray you speak to everybody today. You guys supposed to just a minute. I want to ask you a question. We're going to receive big promises. I do, I do want an honest answer. I, I want you to really take it less of answering me and more God. Is your faith in urgent matter? Or is it in the margins? If you're here today and you're saying, it's in the margins. But Pastor, I'm challenged. I need it to come front and say, and I want to do that today. 
make myself front and center the most important thing in my life. Say, Pastor, that's me. Would you pray for me? Just raise your hand. Let me you know that. I want to pray for you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else? It's me. Maybe at one point it was front and center, but it slipped into the margins. Say, that's me today. I think all of us, we have a moment of truth in saying that there's times where it slips in the margins without us even noticing. And there's times like this where God's just calling us back to have a moment with Him and say, all right, I'm putting you back on the throne of my heart. Anyone else? Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray for you for us it's your grace and mercy that's drawing the hearts towards you. Or you want to be in a relationship with them more than they want to be in a relationship with you. You want them to know your mercies, your blessings, your forgiveness. You want them to know a life without shame, without guilt, without condemnation. As you're calling them today, I pray all those realities would set in their hearts. That they may have come in and their faith is in the margins, but now it's front and center. It's a smile on their face. That lifts the burdens off their shoulders. Thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you. I want to ask you this. We gave you faith promise cards every weekend. If you pull that out, whether or not you're going to fill it up, if you pull it out, I want to ask you something. We explained this in the beginning of service. I am you. You got the project out. You see it in front of you. These are things that are urgent matters. We feel these. We have these things for you. And you know that these are ministries that are for Jesus. And you have an opportunity to make a faith promise. What's a faith promise? It's not a pledge. Faith promise says, Lord, what would you have me do? And then the Lord drops something in your heart. And if it's the Lord, I'll just tell you, it's probably going to be something you're a little uncomfortable with. But you, out of faith, you say, okay, God, if you help me do that, I'll do it. Right? And that's all it is. If, if some things don't come through and you can't do it, then you don't do it. But you're saying, I believe it's faith, you're going to help me do it. We don't, by the way, we don't, we don't do anything to God. Oh, I'm going to keep up with that. In fact, pastors don't know what people do. What this does do for us is it helps us budget. It helps us to know how we're going to fund things. So if you're saying, why are you asking for this then? It helps us know how we're going to fund things. And whether we can't fund it. It's something we can all own together.